Welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org or come and join us at 10am every Sunday. We pray now, Holy Spirit, come and equip and enable to bring your heart to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first off, let me apologise for my voice. It started fading on Thursday. I spent yesterday praying, Lord God, if you want me to speak, give me a voice. I feel more dependent on you than I ever have for a preach. Um, so that's a good lesson. And, um, and if you don't want me to speak, if you want Phil to have more time to talk about the brilliant stuff he was bringing last week, then just shut me up, Lord. You've got the means and the ability, so crack on. Um, given that I still have something of a voice this morning, I'm assuming I'm meant to be here. This is a family service. Um, The kids are causing chaos at the back, making Roman shields. And uh, at the end, I'm hoping we're going to have some form of practical demonstration. This may or may not work. Please bear with us. So um, this message basically dropped into my head when Peter was speaking a few weeks ago about the armour of God and having that as a theme for the church and thinking where we're used to thinking about that individually, what does that mean corporately? Thank you very much. Um, so I started thinking, what does a, so I was just really fixated on what does a corporate shield mean for us? And the first thought that came into my head was, um, for any Trekkies out there, the force fields in Star Trek. You know, whenever there's an enemy ship of whatever persuasion that's just come into view and they say, shields up, red alert. And and that was the first thought I had. And there's various other films that have had, you know, sort of energy force fields that deflect all the things that are thrown at you. Um, now, Now, if the Apostle Paul had a fault, I will say he never saw an episode of Star Trek. I can be fairly confident about that. So... So then I started thinking, well, he hasn't got the advantage of that metaphor, that sort of force field that's over the whole top of all of us together. What would he have known about? And I thought, well, actually, what he would have known about is Greek stories, because that was his history. They would have known about things like the Iliad. They would have known about the the stories of the Trojan War, stuff like that. Um, And he would have known about Roman soldiers very clearly because they'd be marching about the place, keeping order. Um, And and thinking about those two groups of experience has kind of really blessed me this week. Um, So I thought I'd just let you know I am not by any means setting myself up as an expert here. Um, What I know about classics comes from a very ropey GCSE in Latin. Um, I would have got a C. It was not great. Oh, I'm very echoey. Um, And I like like listening to programmes on Radio 4 (laughs) about Romans. That's that's it. That's the sum total of my expertise. So if any of you have um, a doctorate in classical studies, I defer to your superior knowledge. So I was thinking about the Greeks. And thinking about Greek soldiers, I thought, oh, that's better, thank you. Um, Spartans. So the Spartans were like feared Greek warriors. Sparta was a city where they took their fighting 
really seriously. So at the age of seven, boys would be taken from their families and they'd go into boarding school uh, where they, had to, they were encouraged to fight. They were deliberately not given enough food, so they were encouraged to fight amongst each other. So the strongest got more food. The poor weaklings at the back faded away quietly. Any babies that weren't perfect didn't even make it that far. They were stuck out on the mountain on a cold night and left to it. So this was a society that prized, um, above everything else, fighting ability. And the most important piece of armor, the most important piece of equipment they had was their shield. To the extent that shields were, ha- they were precious. They were handed down, for, uh, fa- prized family heirlooms. Mothers would send off their sort of lanky, stripling teenagers into their first fight and present them with this shield and say to them, come back with this, i.e. victorious, or on it, i.e. dead. Basically, the message being, if you lose this shield, don't come back. I do not want you. Now, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? I really can't imagine saying anything like that to James. You know, come back with this thing or on it. But if you throw it away, because if you lose your shield in that, in that Spartan army, you've, you've deliberately thrown it away. You've cast it aside to allow you to run away faster. So losing your shield was a sign of cowardice and it was a sign of desertion. And therefore, to go home without your shield was an absolute disgrace. If you lost your sword or your spear or even your helmet, that was unfortunate. It meant you had to buy a new one. It was, it was unfortunate. But if you lost your shield, it was utter disgrace. And your family would never live it down. So then I thought, okay, Spartans, I mean, they're kind of a bit mental. But, you know, that's, that's showing you the importance of this shield. And the shield was about 30 pounds. Spartan shields were big and round, so they were about 13 kilograms. That's, that's like carrying a two-year-old child draped over your, your left hand. It's pretty heavy. So you'd have to be used to it. You'd have to start training and practicing with this big weight at an early age. If you just picked it up one day and went, I'm going to fight with this, your arm would be dropping off in 10 minutes, wouldn't it? So then thinking about Romans. Roman shields are rectangular. Something like the children are making. Um, But they were also curved. So it was a bit like having a section of an oil drum. Again, on your left arm. Didn't matter whether you were left or right-handed. You always had it on your left arm. Um, And they had a sort of big metal blob in the middle, solid bronze, that was linked to the handle that you had at the back. The rest of the shield was made of pretty much plywood with something like a really thin layer of metal or leather over the top of it. The idea being that you hold on to this metal handle, the the boss in the middle, that you bash your enemies in the face with the solid metal bit, and then as they're reeling from being bashed in the face, you stab them with your sword. And you've got whole ranks coming towards you, bash in the face, stab with the sword like that, bash, stab, bash, stab. So it's not just defensive, it's offensive, this shield. And it also, the shields would have been decorated specifically to the legion that you were in. So it it marked out your identity, your shield did. 
The other thing that marked out was if you were a citizen, if you were a legionary, you had a rectangular shield. If you were an auxiliary, so you weren't as good, you weren't a citizen, then you had an oval shield. So immediately your shield marks you out. It says who you are. It says how important you are. And it says what you have defending you. Okay, interesting. And then, so that's all great. That's, that's great on an individual basis. The important bit that I've not really appreciated before comes when you think about what the soldiers did together. Because they weren't just individual soldiers with an individual sword and a shield and a sword. They worked together. They formed a shield wall, so they'd lock their shields and advance. It's a bit like a rugby scrum. So the two enemy, two armies would come against each other and the side with the stronger fighters and the better shields would, would win that shield wall. And, and whichever side crumbled, whichever side's wall gave away first, they were at a distinct disadvantage. And once the shield walls fell, then it basically went to one-on-one melee fighting. The Romans took that one stage further, so they did this tortoise, this testudo formation, where the people at the front would have their shields in front of them locked, and the people behind them would have them locked over their head. So they formed, all huddled together really closely. There's no room for people you know, wanting personal space here. They're all huddled together with their shields locked in front of them and over the top of them so that they can advance. It doesn't matter what's raining down on them what the enemies are lobbing at them, they, they can advance and they're, and they're defended by this covering of, the, of their shields. And then, so looking at the, the verse that we're referring back to is um, in Ephesians, isn't it? It's the end of Ephesians. And I'm reading from the, the Passion Translation, which I like just giving a slightly interest, a different perspective on it. Um, it's verse 16, which is about the shield of faith, says, in every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield. And that's that curve. You remember I said it was a bit like having um, the side of an oil drum. So the shield wasn't flat. It was curved around you, the Roman shield. So Paul's saying, take your wraparound shield. And our wraparound shield isn't just around our front. It's all the way around us. Take, take faith as your wraparound shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the enemy. So I just thought, last, this, this only came to me last night. I thought, let's just investigate blazing arrows, because I've seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, you know, with, with him with his burning arrow. Um, I've always thought of, my, my assumption has been that blazing arrows were, were like really super-duper weapons. That's like arrows 2.1, you know, but um, arrows plus, plus, plus. And actually, I discovered um, that blaze, flaming arrows were very rarely used um, because they actually... Setting the point of having flames on an arrow, if you think how hard it is when you're lighting a birth, the candles on a birthday cake and you have to carry it across the room to the child, half of them go out, don't they, just in the breeze of just you moving. So actually, the effort to keep an arrow on fire while it's shooting through the air, it was quite difficult. It meant the end of the arrow had to be really bulky 
to get whatever, you know, sort of rag salted, soaked in pitch or whatever you had in there. Um, so it meant that you could only fire them from a really short range. They were really inaccurate. And you had to fire loads of them for any of them to have a chance of hitting. So, if, so the enemies who were using blazing arrows basically could just about rely on about two out of a hundred making a good hit. So for that reason, they weren't used very often. But that, that picture, that really spoke to me of, actually, I've always assumed that these arrows from the evil one are super-duper arrows, but actually they're the sort of arrows, and Paul would have known this, that the enemy has to fire from close up. So if he's way, you know, miles away from you, they're going to be no good. He's got to fire loads of them to have a chance of any of them hitting, and they're really inaccurate. And then you think that God has given us this wraparound shield to defend ourselves against those inaccurate, not brilliant, flaming arrows. Before we get the kids up and everything goes completely wrong... I just wanted to have a little think about kind of what this means. So I've told you some nice facts about Spartans and Roman soldiers, and you can all go away now, um, if you didn't know them before, thinking how lovely. I know a little bit more about history. Um, Oh, the other point I, I wanted to make as a little aside is, I've heard this preached a number of times where the, um, the shields were soaked in water, to extinguish the arrows. Apparently, that's a myth. Didn't happen. It just made the made the shields really, really heavy. It, it, basically, the arrows sort of bounced off your your shield and went elsewhere. So, no worries about soaking in water. So, so what is this shield of faith that we've been given? Clearly, none of us are marching around with a great big twelve kilo shield on our arm. It's a metaphor. It's, it's a way of understanding something that's an abstract thought, that, you know, this abstract idea of faith, and we're understanding it in a concrete, solid way that we, we can recognize. Everybody in Paul's time would know what a shield looked like. Everybody would have seen Roman soldiers marching about, or other soldiers. So what is this faith that we're talking about, this shield of faith, this thing that can protect us? It's... I think the simplest definition I can come up with is this is recognizing genuine truth. It's recognizing it and acknowledging it and using it and holding it in your life. So so that genuine truth boiled down, I think, to basic principles is Jesus is God. We are utterly dependent on him. And then when we bring that together corporately, when we all stand together, we say united. Jesus is first and foremost here. He's the, the, she, the name on our shield. You know, our, our, all our big shields say Jesus. <laughs> and there's an empty cross because he's risen again and conquered death. That's what we want our enemies to know. <laughs> and then the other thing that I think is the fact of our corporate faith as we stand together is that in the sight of God and therefore in our sight, everybody is equally precious. Everybody is precious. There aren't any special people. There aren't any 
rubbish people that we just kind of, they tag along but we, and we put up with them. Everybody is precious. God can speak through anyone. Any one person could be the messenger that God has sent that morning. Any one of us can be the vulnerable person whose shield has cracked. So what other lessons can we get from shields? And Roman soldiers, James is armed and ready. <laughs> Two minutes, James, and then it's your moment. They're forming up. <laughs> so firstly, having a shield is intentional. You have to pick it up. If you leave it next to your bed in the morning, you don't have it with you that day. So you, we intentionally put, pick up our shields and take them with us. Carrying a shield and using a shield improves with practice. You have to train. You know, soldiers started when they were in their early teens and they had to get used to that constant weight and they would have muscles that were used to that weight so that actually over time it became that they pretty much forgot that they were carrying it but they were still carrying it because they'd trained. Well how do we train to carry a shield all the time? We train by coming together and praying. We train by being immersed in the word. We train by listening to our chief, our commander-in-chief. And we train corporately by doing all of those things together as well as individuals. And then the last thing is that the, every individual impacts on the group. So if, some, if one person drops their shield and then you form that tortoise, that testudo, there's a hole in it. There's a hole in the defense. You can... And also, if somebody else has dropped their shield because, you know, maybe their arms got chopped off or whatever, metaphorically, not literally, hopefully. Uh, although that would be a memorable Sunday. Um, <laughs> sorry, black humor, emergency medicine doctor. Um, you can hold your shield over somebody else. You know, if, you, if you're trying to get back your injured colleague who is, you're carrying him on his shield... Other people can hold their shield over him. And with those, I want you to basically hold all of those thoughts and then we'll see if we can manage some form of practical demonstration. Um, so, bear with me. Prepare for chaos. <laughs> so I would, like you to, I would like to introduce you to the Roman legion of... Uh, Matlock, under the command of General James Mottram, this was the bro oh, Lord. <laughs> so, so let's have some demos of your fighting technique. A little, a little bit, just a little. Um, so, oh, he's, he's using his initiative now. Right, can you demonstrate your smashing in the face and stabbing as well, please? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He wanted a microphone and I said no. I did not give them swords for a reason. 
So, now let me stay in your testudo. You guys are in line. So they're going to... We now have some actual... Go on, go for it. Lob those at them. We have some flaming arrows, which are a bit rubbish. (laughs) You might need to get closer. (laughs) Brilliant. So our flaming arrows are useless against this brilliant defence. Before... You can stand up again. Before your backs give out. So two, two or three more questions. So guys... If one of you had a really flimsy, cracked, broken shield, where would you put them? Yeah, in the middle, wouldn't you? Where's the safest place in that formation, if you imagine it's a bit bigger? Right in the middle. So if somebody's new and it's their first battle and they're feeling a bit nervous, are we going to put them out on the edge? No? No. We're going to put them right in the middle, aren't we? So they get, they feel safe, they're They've got confidence. They've got psychological confidence from their colleagues. Brilliant. If somebody's got a really important message, so say that you have been given a message from the, by the general and you've got to get that message back to, the, to Rome, where are you going to put Mary? Are you going to put her out on the edge? No, she's now the most important person, isn't she? So you've got to keep her really, really safe. Fabulous. So again, she goes right in the middle. She's defended by everybody else. So we've got, if somebody's wounded, they're going in the middle. They're not going on the edge. They're not, they're not you know, sort of go out on the sidelines. <laughs> they're going in the middle because that's the safest place. Where do you put your strongest fighters? Yeah, absolutely. You put your strong... Well, Chris, you know, if the cap fits. (laughs) You put your strongest fighters on the edge. You put the guys who are built like proverbial brick, you know. um, They go right at the front for the... Imagining the front wall of the rugby scrum. They want to be... We want the biggest, heaviest, most immovable people... They're going at the front. Does this make sense to everybody? This is the shield that our God has given us. He's given us a shield that we carry individually, that we train with, that we practice with, that we can use as our defense, and we can use as our offense as well. We can rely on our God. We can rely on him as an absolute truth, an absolute fact. And that fact is our defense. It's our shield. It's our personal protection. But not only that, we lock our shields together as a group, not just in this place, but as, as the body of Christ, as the whole church in the world. We lock our shields together deliberately. We come together and we stand against the enemy. And that's the message I wanted to show. Thank you very much. Can we have a... Yeah, go for it.